0: And I really look forward to seeing you there. That web address one last time slash AMA. Before we start the show this week, I wanted to let you know that the book I've co authored with Mervyn Dinnan is now available for pre order. The book is called Exceptional Talent and looks at what companies are doing to attract, hire, develop, and retain the very best people for their business. The book starts shipping in May, but you can reserve a discounted copy right now by going to bit.ly exceptionaltalent exceptional talent and using the discount code F-H-R-E-T-20. That's bit.ly exceptionaltalent exceptional talent and the discount code F-H-R-E-T-20. I'll also put that information in the show notes for this week's episode. There's been more of scientific
1: discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of
0: history. Hi, everyone. This is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 81 of the Recruiting Future podcast. It's always great to get feedback about the show. So, a big thank you to everyone who's got in touch recently. I've decided it would be fantastic if there was a place where we could all discuss the issues that come up in the interviews and find out what people's opinions are. To make this happen, I've recently created a Facebook page for the show. You can find it by searching for The Recruiting Future Podcast on Facebook or by going to www.facebook.com slash rfpodcast. For this week's episode, I thought it would be interesting to get the perspective of a global HR director. My guest is Graham Cook, who's global HRD of ground engineering company Keller. Graham has worked all over the world in his career and shares some fascinating insights in an interview I know you're going to enjoy. Hi, Graham, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Good to be here. So could you introduce yourself and give us uh, a little bit of background about, about what you do?
1: Yeah, so I'm Graham Cook. I'm Group HR Director for Keller Group PLC. Keller Group are a geotechnical engineering company, around 10,000 employees covering 40 countries. My background is mostly upstream oil and gas. I'm a native of Aberdeen, Scotland, but spent the early part of my career with a global oil field services firm called Slumbergy. With those guys, I worked uh, and lived abroad in West Africa, Middle East, Asia, and in the UK, and I spent 10 years with them. The early part of my career was in finance, doing various controller-type roles, and then they offer a system of borderless careers, and they moved us across product lines, geographies, and functions, and for the last 16 years, I've been doing senior HR roles.
0: That's interesting, and I obviously want to talk a bit more about what you're doing at Keller and HR and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but to start with, um, what's it like to have um, moved around globally like like you have? What um, you know, what's the reality of a global career? And what's the reality of um, you know doing HR on a on a on a global basis like that?
1: Global HR is uh, a fascinating thing and I think it's something that's really helped shape and define my career over the years. Um, the reality is there's a breadth of complexity, a breadth of diversity but quite often challenges and opportunities are, are actually identical no matter where you work. What I would encourage any young person considering their career is to, to try and find a, a stage in their life when um, when a, when a global opportunity could emerge. Typically, that's earlier in someone's life. But what you'd be amazed at is what it can lead to and the types of opportunities that people are are willing to give you a try at, having proven yourself on, on those diverse markets.
0: What was the most interesting
1: market that you worked in? That's a great question. Um, No two are the same. Um, I think Asia in the late 90s was a really challenging time. For for those of you old enough to know, there was a sort of currency crisis that that really started in Asia in the sort of mid to late 90s. I think it was around 97, 98. And what we saw was a massive drop in the financial markets that kind of went well beyond anything we experienced, I think, here in Europe in the, uh, the late 2000s and you saw the effect it had on society. We were living in Jakarta, Indonesia at the time, my wife and our two young kids in those days, and um, the, the, the social deprivation that caused, the economic uh, problems it caused, was, was actually very compelling, and I think that will live with me probably for the rest of my career. Really challenging times, but it does shape you, it does build some resilience, but uh, it's also helpful to keep those kind of social problems in, in context when you're leading a business.
0: And so for, for someone who is doing some kind of talent role that involves, um, you know, that has a global aspect to it, that, that are working across markets, um, markets they may not have, um, worked in before, markets they may not have even visited. What would you think are the key things that, that they should think about, um, when, when having a, a kind of a global focus?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think again, that's a good question. There there are different types of challenges. So if you're working perhaps in, in the real emerging economies of the world, like, like West Africa, like perhaps East Africa, some are parts of Asia, um, people come to work for different reasons. Cultures and families are often a lot closer to one another in those parts of the world. And the role of the earner or the employee or the person that you're looking to hire may actually have quite a broad, again, social impact on that. Whereas perhaps in, in, in the Americas, and parts of Western Europe, it's more about career development and, and self-improvement and, and sort of quite personal issues. So we mustn't forget the, the, the humility of actually what we're trying to do here, because we might be hiring or giving people opportunities or developing people for far bigger reasons than, than we might actually realise.
0: So oil, gas,
1: engineering, they're all things that that, that, you, that you've worked in and continue
0: to work in. Um we hear a lot about problems with recruiting talent and, and skill shortages in those industries. What What's the reality um, and how,
1: you know, how are you sort of dealing with those issues? I think in those types of industries and certainly what I'm seeing in Keller is there, there's generally uh, a difficulty to attract people at the early stages of their careers into these industries. And, and I think there's a number of reasons for that. Traditionally, the oil and gas markets, the construction markets, they're Tend to be quite hypercyclical, so they'll have a boom and a bust period, and not everybody's able to sustain those those periods. Um, in my career, for example, in the oil and gas industry, there have been three very deep recessions where, where led by an oil price drop, and it's been quite fascinating and challenging actually to watch people. Leave the industry with a view that they, they might not be coming back So so word gets round I think the society these days People generally have much more choice As to the types of industries they will join And I guess it's not for everyone I think the other the other piece there is that um, These are always quite manual, quite hands-on Quite heavy engineering types of industries Certainly in the early parts of people's career And like I say, there's uh, it's not always attractive to young people Wanting to go off and, and spend their lives that way so you're you're fairly new into Keller. i
0: think you've been here since uh, the beginning of the, the beginning of the year um and we're recording this at the um the last day of february actually so um you know so not long has passed
1: um it, how are you finding it um and uh, what what are you what are you focusing on so I've been given the, the luxury of time to actually get my head together and understand the business. The, the chief executive, a guy called Alan Michaelis, he was previously group chief operating officer at Rolls Royce. He, uh, he's very much been brought in by the, the board to, to drive efficiencies across Keller. We are historically an organization that's been built through acquisition. So we've had a lot of perhaps family or individually run businesses that we've acquired. What's been interesting is a large number of the previous owners of those businesses have chosen to stay with Keller because we are the global uh, or number one market, market leader in what we do in ground engineering. And they found, I think, the access to good technology, access to good process, access to great people quite compelling. So the vast majority of the companies have, that we've acquired have have stayed. What Alan's been uh, tasked by the board to do is to try and leverage those individual pieces of excellence and start to, um, start to create financial value as well as value for our clients as well as value for employees by, by, by identifying those opportunities to, to share and to collaborate across the group. So, what's your
0: view on the role of an HR director? What, what does an HR director do? What are they? What are they for? Um, you know, what, what do you? What do you actually focus on um, as part of this business?
1: So, I look at the role of an HR director quite generically. I mean, I think the first part and the most obvious part is that they they are the, the head of the the global function. They they are the they provide leadership to the professionals in the department across the group. So, I think that's very much one part of it. Another part is to be that sort of um, thought partner, ally, coach, confident of the chief executive. Now, that's something that can be done in various degrees of success. Some chief executives are more open to it than others. What I've found in Alan is it's a, it's a very welcoming type type role that he's given us, so so I'm looking forward to exploring that with him. And the third part is to be a very good sort of colleague, team player, but also business partner to the executive team and to the board. So I very much see it in three stages, the the, the leader of the function, the confident and coach of the chief executive, and the business partner to the exec team and board.
0: To, to pick up on that, um... That, that business the partner to the executive and board there's there's obviously lots of talk about um, you know where our hr sits in an organization that it that, you know that it should be one of the most kind of senior senior positions um I think there's some interesting stuff around, you know, commerciality and and, and the business part of that.
1: What's 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 your view? Well, I guess what I've learned in life, Matt, is you get nothing for free. So any respect or any sort of opportunity to perform generally needs to be earned. And and you do hear a lot about HR complaining about maybe not having full access to the executive or board. I think that's uh, I think that's really up to the individual leaders themselves. What I've always found is keeping it relevant to the business having the sort of confidence, but also the expertise to make a compelling case for, for any particular change. Those types of, if you like, personal qualities are are far more important, I would say, than than general experience. A lot of the role of the sort of senior HR person in the organisation is to, to cause things to happen rather than necessarily individually make things happen. So you rely on the, the quality of your function, you rely on the culture of the organisation you're working in, But most importantly, you rely on the compelling arguments that you make to your business partners, your teams, and your executive to move things forward. We have sort of lots of talk on the podcast
0: um, about the the future of HR, um,
1: how technology
0: is is, is evolving things, how it might be sort of enabling some of the things that that you're talking about. What's what's your view? um, Where's the the profession going? What does innovation look like? Um, And does technology play play a role in that?
1: Yeah, there's no question, in my mind, technology plays a massive part in the future of HR. I mean, I think I wouldn't I wouldn't say that exclusively. I think that the caliber of the people that we're able to attract and develop within the profession is is actually probably more important than that. But what I've always found in the the sort of functions I've been able to lead is is trying to allow technology to take away some of the the core transactional work that the function has to do. There's no escaping it. But the more we can make that efficient, the more we can have our professionals spending time on higher-end activities, that's typically where you you start to see value being created, not only for the business and, and their leaders, but also for the function itself. Everyone wants to grow their career generally, is what I've learned, and giving and providing access to people to do that is generally a very positive engagement thing. So you you said earlier in the
0: interview that your original background was in finance um, and obviously now you're in
1: HR. Um, How did that transition come about and um, what was it like? Yeah, that's something I've been asked from time to time. I mean, what I would say about Initially working in finance and latterly in HR is uh, often when you're in the finance position and you say no, people say okay, and when you're in HR, you say no, they say why. But that's uh, that's something that I've had to get used to over the years. But but seriously, I mean the opportunity came around when I was with slumbersy I've spent broadly half of my career with slumbersy globally, and they they lead or they develop their talent through what they call borderless careers. You essentially move people through product line, through through geography, through through function, towards general management. And if you're reasonably good at what you're doing within your home function, they will ask you to, to move across. So I was given the opportunity to move in HR. And I think what I found is I actually really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the diversity of it. It was a time where finance was uh, becoming a little bit narrow. Uh, Things like Sarbanes-Oxley and and very strict compliance regimes were, were emerging. So I found I was being a little bit boxed in in terms of my personality preferences, the types of things I like to do. So I was given the opportunity, and uh, the first job was to do a, a, an integration of two companies—one that we'd acquired by, by Slumberger, and uh, I found it fascinating, and felt I'm going to spend a bit more time doing that. One of the areas I found has been helpful is the commercial background, is the international background as well, and I think that's possibly given me a slight advantage in terms of career opportunities that have emerged thereafter, Matt. You mentioned the um,
0: almost the sort of the generational. Problems in in your industry with um, aging workforces, the the challenges of getting, um, you know, young young people into in, into the industry. Could could you sort of tell us a little bit more about that? And then you know, it'd be great to know what your advice would be to um, you know p- people who are facing the same issues.
1: Yeah, I definitely saw that in my previous industry in oil and gas, and I think if anything, it's probably more pronounced here in uh, in, in ground engineering and construction. Wara, I think, I think most of sort of senior and executive management are starting to get to grips with the whole millennial piece. And, and that's certainly going to be a feature in the sort of people strategy that we put together for Keller. I don't think it's as distinct as, uh, as we might think. I mean, what, what I found when engaging with young people here in Keller and previously in my other companies is the thing that they want more than anything is to be really well-led they want to be given access to opportunities. They want to be inspired. They want to learn. So I think the culture of any organization that has a sort of crew change type type agenda ahead of it is just really focus on your culture, focus on your leadership, focus on your engagement. And I think we'll find that uh, these millennials will actually respond quite openly to that. We may not be able to keep them forever, but if we can sort of send them on to the next stage of their careers better than they came in, then we'll have done a pretty good job. Graham, thank you very much for talking to me. My pleasure, Matt. Thank you.
0: My thanks to Graham Cook. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, or via your podcasting app of choice. Just search for Recruiting Future. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Don't forget the new Facebook page, which you can find by searching for the Recruiting Future podcast on Facebook. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week and I hope you'll join me.
1: This is my show.